This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Dojo Live. Today is Tuesday, August 31st, 2021. This is Tulio Sergusa broadcasting from Southern California. I'm joined today by Carlos Ponce in Cornavaca, Mexico, and Kim Lantis in Hermosillo, Mexico. Hi, guys. Hi. And our guest, Shimon Toltz, who's the CEO and co-founder at Data Daytree.io, is joining us from Tel Aviv, Israel. Welcome to the show, Shimon. It's good to have you. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. How many hours ahead of us are you, Shimon? It's we're noon. Nine, I think. Nine, I think. Uh, I'm, it's oh. ten p.m. here. If you're noon, ten. then it's ten hours. Ten yeah, hours. Yeah. So All what right. we what we can't see is that your teeth are already brushed and you're wearing pajama bottoms. So. <laughs> nah, I'm I'm a night owl. I stay Easy up until there. two three. Easy there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today we're talking about a fairly new topic for product companies in the software space. Uh, we're going to dig into it and try to learn as much as we can about product-led growth, PLG. Fairly new coin term in the past couple of years. Uh, companies like Slack and Dropbox have been converting to this model. Uh, so, But before we dig into that, let's get to know Shimon a little bit. If you could please tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll learn a little bit about Daytree. Thanks. Yeah, so first of all, thank you very much. It's really great to be here on the show on Dojo Live. It's really cool. So my name is Shimon. I'm 32 years old. I live in Tel Aviv now, and most of my life I've lived here. And my background is mainly in software development, DevOps, infrastructure. And I, I installed my first Linux when I was 12 years old, and I opened my first company when I was 15. I just wanted my own Linux server, and it was too expensive, so I got some other companies to put their websites on my server. And when I was 18, I sold the company and went to the Israeli military because in Israel, everyone goes to the army. And I was a criminal investigator in computer forensics. So I was dealing with computer crimes mainly. It was a very interesting three years. And later on, I worked in more companies also in the security field like McAfee and Intel Security. And prior to starting the tree, I was the general manager of infrastructure development at a company called IronSource, which actually IPO'd last month for $11 billion. I joined when it was only 30 people and a dog jumped on me and it was a house. And it was a huge journey, like from 30 to 1,000 people. And I was responsible for all of the CI, CD infrastructure, you know, scaling 400 engineers. Um, so I'm basically a, a geek in this term, and I also love a um, community very much. I'm an AWS community hero. I run a meetup group of 8,000 members, cloud enthusiasts. We had more than 100 meetings uh, of folks talking about you know, DevOps infrastructure and cloud computing. So I very much enjoy those activities. Awesome. Thanks for the background. Congratulations on the exit. That's a pretty sizable exit. <laughs> uh, that's a whole conversation we could have all by itself. Uh, but <laughs> let's get back on track with Daytree. Tell us a bit about what gave birth to this company. What was the intention behind it? Sort of 
what was that haha moment where you say, I've got to go do this? Tell us about that. That is a great question. So, you know, when you work at a company and uh, when you scale it to 400 engineers, you start small and, and you grow and grow and grow. And as the general manager of the infrastructure division, my mission was to build all of the infrastructure and put in all the development standards and security policies and POC new technologies for all of the other business units. And one day a developer made a misconfiguration, a mistake. I make mistakes all the time. And this mistake got itself into production and caused the major production outage. And at this point, I thought to myself, okay, mistakes happen. We post-mortem it. We have identified what was the issue. But then I asked myself the question, how am I supposed to propagate this development standard and to make sure that we will not make the same mistake again? So I was very naive. I sent an email. I created a... You know, I created a, a, a wiki, I sent a, a, a nice uh, link to it, I made a meetup, but you know, you can't really uh, have 400 people remember things like that. And as a developer myself, I can say that receiving emails that tell you don't forget to configure this memory limit or don't forget to set this liveness probe, it's you just, you can't remember those things. And this was the moment where we said, okay, I'm gonna quit my job and gonna build an automated solution that is going to be seamless within the workflow of the developer and is going to be like a guardrails. So I, as a developer, I don't want to take production down, but sometimes I just don't know or I forget or, or, or I miss something. And this will be my guardian angel that will actually scan my code before it goes into production and prevent the next outage from happening. All right, that sounds really cool. That's very relevant to a lot of our audience members here. So uh, let's uh, see what we can learn. I'm particularly curious to learn a lot about what PLG, product-led growth, means and how that's being done. It seems like only a handful of companies have adopted that. Let's introduce the topic. Uh, Carlos, please kick it off. Uh Absolutely. Thank you, Tulio. And of course, thanks, Shimon, for being with us. So there's a question that we're going to be answering today. The question is, what is, what is product-led growth and how can it benefit B2B and mainly B2D companies as the main go-to-market strategy? So the topic is product-led growth for B2B developer tools companies or B2B companies in the tech space. Uh, let's start with the question. The first question that I have for you, Shimon, is why did you choose this particular topic and why did you feel it was uh, relevant for today's day and age? Let's start there. Thank you. So recently we've made a major change in the way of our, that we do go to market in my company. And we used to be a sales driven organization. I was in San Francisco in California. We had an office, we had salespeople and we would go and sell our software. And as COVID hit and um, you know, we couldn't go to trade shows anymore and a lot of our MO that we've built, you know, meeting people and so on was very, very hard. And from the get-go, we always wanted to build a self-service platform, something that will let the users use the product. And then we found out about product-led growth. And I'm happy to say that four months ago, we, we launched our 
self-service offering and, and switch to product-led growth. And now we have more than 190 companies using our product this way. And for me, it was a major change, except like going back from America, firing all the salespeople, changing like a lot of things in the company. I really feel like this is the way of the future. And this is the way people want to consume software and that, you know, calling people and trying to sell them things. I, I just don't really believe in it in most verticals, specifically in developer tools. I think that the product should sell itself. All right. All right. So how does that work? How are some companies adopting this? Uh, I mean, there's historically been the sort of freeware version that you didn't try to convert the user and it's very user centric. But some larger companies have procurement and uh, purchasing uh, orders and things of that sort. Right. It's not so easy for just the user to go ahead and say, OK, I'm going to convert this to a, a paying platform. How do you work through that? Can you just break it down for us a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, so maybe we should start from the beginning. So if we think about it like the 80s and the 90s, so-called, it was the CIO era. So the way software was sold, there was like a company, there was someone that would connect you with the CIO of the company or tell them, hey, we have this great CRM, we have this program. They go have drinks, play golf, and, and they sell them the software. Ah, the good old days. <laughs> the good old days. <laughs> Then, you know, the here comes the exec era, the 2000s. I call it the Oracle era, right? Mm. So now let's say you need to buy databases for your business unit. And, and they go and salespeople go and meet with, with the execs of the departments because it's already too big and there are so many systems to run. The CIO can't make the decision for, for everyone. So it starts to be delegated to the execs of the business units. And at this point, software is still sold, you know, top down and and the execs decide we'll use this software and then go on. And 2010, I would say, comes the end user era. And this is the point where like you work in an organization and you experience the world of today. I don't know, Instagram, Facebook, you use great tools, and then you come to work and you have this clunky UI, this bad system that barely works that your company bought. And you're like, what is this? Why are we? <laughs> no comment. Why do we use this? And and like, why why do we have this thing here? And, and, and all of a sudden, it, it started changing. And... And, 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 and the movement of the end user where they saying, let's build good software for people in the organization and they will go and, and, and decide which software we'll use. Shimon, I have a quick question. Well, you mentioned an adjective. You use an adjective, clunky. And I mean, I could think of a number of things that can be clunky, but I'm not going to say them live. So huh. uh, I'm, I'm regarding the way that... Well, this whole concept of product-led growth is uh, it's, it's very interesting. It's fairly new to me personally. I'm just the, the layman here, the, the average end user. I'm not an engineer, and I don't have an engineering background. So in that context, Shimon, this is the way I understand product-led growth. I see that there is a very heavy emphasis on things like uh, specifically the, the marketing of, of the product. Because you're 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 having a product like um, Calendly. You mentioned Calendly, for example. So, 
where did, what's what sort of role does marketing and di specifically digital marketing play in adoption or getting the word out or increasing your user base in this type of uh, strategies, product-led growth for B2B developer tools companies? That's a great question. So in order to do product-led growth, you need several things. So you need for people to be able to receive value before you capture value. They need to be able to try your product before they need to pay for it. If you think of the exec era or the CIO era, like you buy the product and then you start using it. Now it's different. You start using the product, you get the value, and then you pay for it. So in terms of marketing, there are like also have been three shifts in it. So in the product-led growth era, the product is your number one salesperson. And all of your marketing activities are not contact us, are not schedule a demo. All the activities are try our product, try our product, try our product. And in terms of the product, you need to build it to be catered to a clear use case. And it should be very, very simple. And as you know, it is hard to build simple things. But the companies that are able to do it in a good way are the winners on that side. So you design gotcha. for the end user. You deliver value before capturing value. And you invest in the product with the go-to-market intent for people to go and sign into the product. Okay. There's a Love correlation it. there's a correlation here that I can't help but recognize. Um, maybe it's correlation and not causation, maybe it's both. I think you mentioned this upswing in product-led growth happening, you know, three, four or so years ago. Over the last decade or so, or I don't I don't really know the exact time frame, but what I do sense is also the shift in more flat organizations, right? Mm -hmm. Where people have more say in what's going on within the company. Is this directly related in that sense of, I now have more say, I get to choose my budget, I get to spend my money, I don't have to go through these layers and layers and layers of you know approvals. So is, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but do you see the correlation between flat organizations Absolutely. and product-led growth? Okay. Absolutely. What Kim you know, is saying, if I could, is that the companies that are still dictating whatever user uses are becoming dinosaurs. Yes, yes. Yes. Ahead, please answer the like, question. I, I, can't, I can't imagine like the thing like for example in my company and, and uh, like developers today, they come to work, they get the most salary they want, they bring their dog and they check if you know if people come to a work interview, they come with the dog. They want to see that the dog also likes the workplace, you know, <laughs> how the dog likes it. So <laughs> They are like the, you know, they they have five types of cornflakes. They have seven types of milk. This fed, that fed, that like, you know, it's it's the era. And and you can, by the way, Kimi, you can also look at the generations, Generation X, Generation Z, the millennials, and so on. It's more about the personalization and and being impactful. Now I can't even imagine today someone a manager coming to a developer and telling him you're going to use this IDE to develop your code. The developer is going to be like, what? Like, you're not going to dictate which IDE I'm going to use to write my code. 
I'm going to write my code and I'm going to use the tools that I need in order to write it. So I totally agree with you that today it's different. Today organizations bring good people, give them missions, and those people are saying that this is, those are the tools and this is the software that I need in order to perform my work. And you see a lot of bottoms up adoption Mm -hmm. of of products and users that uh, see products that are catered for their use case start using them and if you look at slack for example slack gets into organizations until it gets to the CISO it's like inevitable that they buy it because it's like everyone is using it uh, let's just buy it so we have the enterprise security offering <laughs> it'll be like, anarchy chaos if I don't yeah yes. and I think it's great like I think the key word here is trust so what companies have to be, the switch is I'm trusting my employees to make the correct decision. And then therefore, software devel devel development companies, particularly the B to D companies, business to developer companies, are re reciprocating that. They're saying, trust me, use me, and then you'll see. Exactly. It, it's delivering value to the person to put the product first, to deliver value quickly and to introduce to the customer success before sales. It's like, I want to help you to be successful with the solution. It don't matter, like money and payment, we don't care about that. We just want to be helpful. We want you to use our tool in a way that is helpful and meaningful to you. And once they do this and they actually use it, it's already game over. Like paying for it is a, it's a no-brainer. It's like, it's, it's... Yeah. And, but in order to do it, you need to reduce the friction. You need to create clear and and easy user flows to onboard them and to bring the user to the aha moment now to be fair the world has changed dramatically where 10 20 years ago it wasn't as online as it is today right so you couldn't get to the users back in the day right you had mm -hmm. to go through the gatekeepers to get to the users so uh, how much of the fact that people are actively online, whether they are participating in sharing on GitHub or in open source uh, libraries, et cetera, how do you go and meet the end users where they are? What are some of the strategies that are working? Great question. And this, you know, PLG, product-led growth, has boomed during the last one and a half years from ever since COVID is out because it's even extrapolated even more because everyone's at home, everyone's trying things, just trying to, to make their work better. And how do you get to the user? So now everyone's online and the best way for PLG companies to distribute their product is via organic growth. So you write articles about how your solution can help them. You show real world use cases of how they can use your solution. You build a really good product that is maybe viral. If I send you a Calendly link in order to invite you to a meeting with me, uh, you're gonna be exposed to Calendly and you're gonna be like, oh, what is this? So every time it's being used, there is a viral loop. More and more and more people use it. If you use Slack, maybe I send you a message and you get it in your email and then you go into Slack. So you actually need to work on bringing value, have influencers talking about it, drive traffic to your website, maybe using SEO and talking about the core problems that you solve. And then just eliminate all barriers and let them try it for themselves. Shimon, I have a question. And this is a, <clears throat> uh, an honest question. So please bear with me. 
Because remember, I'm the layman here. What is a Kubernetes? Kubernetes. 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 I'm sorry, Kubernetes. Kubernetes. I, I, I'm, I'm just being honest. I have no clue what a Kubernetes was until I just saw it here on, on your information. So what is it? Okay, so Kubernetes it's is a, a coffee maker. <laughs> oh, I get it. Let, it's like, it's like chicken. It tastes like That's chicken. Easy. If you don't understand yeah. a technical term, just say it's a coffee maker. Yeah, sorry, Shima. This is like, what's the game? Apples to apples. Which one sounds like the correct answer? Yeah. Shima, can you tell this is a serious show by not so serious people? That's what I told him. That's what I told him. And he still agreed to be with us, so I guess it's his fault. Okay. Sure so, thing. No, seriously, what is a Kubernetes? I, I don't know. I okay. don't know what that is. So in Greek, Kubernetes is a ship captain, and what it represents is a, in the world of cloud computing, there are three dominant clouds, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google, and they all have their own APIs. And one day, a group of people said, but why don't we build something that is cloud native? that is cloud agnostic, have one language that can run on-prem and on all clouds together. And Kubernetes is this orchestrator that talks in one language and can run workloads across all of your different cloud vendors and on-prem services. Okay. It's kind of like the TCP IP of cloud. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, oh, thanks for elaborating on that. For So Carlos is like, okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. What's TCIP? Uh, <laughs> you know, come on, we had been surf on the we show. We had been surf on the show, yeah. I was going to say that, but anyway. So um, I love the simplicity on how you explain everything, Shimon. I really appreciate that. Um, it It seems as though if you're a software product company, is it limited to only dev tools or is this a strategy that the other companies are starting to adopt as well? This product driven uh, growth. So it, growth it, strategy. it has gone into many, many different uh, areas, but uh, Twilio, let me ask you a question. If you are seeking for a solution for a certain problem that you have and you come into a website, and you have two buttons. One button is schedule a demo with a salesperson. And another button is try the product for free and you just sign in and use it. Which one are you going to choose? Oh, I like to talk. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, definitely choose the try the product. Unless of it's course. really complicated, then I need somebody to walk yeah. me through it. And, right? and it's not That's forever. part of the problem, too, I suppose. If your product is too complicated where it requires to have a demo, you need to simplify it, right? I agree. <laughs> the idea is always simple. Okay, it's so, like if you think about it, like I'd rather jump off a cliff than book a demo with a salesperson. And I gotta tell you a piece of personal story. So, when we started the company, we started as a top down company, not product led. And I was this salesperson and I hired more to go and sell it. And it was really weird for me because the way I used to buy software as an R&D manager, as an exec in, in Iron Source, was I would go hear about something, go into the website, try it, get, give one of my team leaders to try it, and if they like it, then we go and put a credit card, and if it becomes a bit expensive, then we call them, get like a yearly deal, get some discount, and continue with our life. And then when I actually opened my startup, raised capital from respectable VCs, the, like in 2017 in Israel, it, it's like the security land. 
everything here is like checkpoint and like everything is security companies. Now security is traditionally sold all top down. So most VCs invest in security and most VCs took the security playbook and said, oh, like, go meet people, eat steaks, go on dinners and so on. And I would sit there and I'd be like, am I the crazy one? I'm like, this is so, like, everyone tells me, go meet companies, go meet companies, go meet, go sell companies like this. And I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess I'm crazy. I don't know. And, and now three years later, there are hundreds of PLG companies in Israel. And for me, I experienced this because we've built a solution to solve a problem that I had in Iron Source, but mm-hmm. with using product-led growth, finally we sell it in the way that I would want to buy it and not try and go and, and sell it top down to other people. Well, I have now, to say, it hurts me a little bit. You're, you're a really great storyteller and I feel sad that less fewer people get to go out to dinner with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, indeed. I, I gotta Thank hand you. it to you, Shimon. I, I gotta hand it to you. You're good at that. But 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 I gotta say, th- this is really a, a, a moment. Like for me, it was a eureka, and and I wrote a blog post about it. Like I was sitting in my living room drinking Negroni, like a fine liquor, and I looked at my website, and I looked at the button, and I said, I would never click the book a demo button in my own company. I would never click this button for my own company. And I said, how could this be? Something has to change. And this is when I realized that this is not the way we want to sell our product. And this is what took us to the product-led growth journey. And I love it. So Mike, I have the question here is, we, we threw this word around a little bit earlier in the show, or quite a bit earlier in the show now, is the word simple. Simple, simple, simple. So my guess is that with product, led growth or companies who have this as their model they're also seeing an increase in ui and ux designers is that true is this would this be your tip or your advice to software development companies higher ui higher ux let find out what your users are doing and wanting uh, so yes Absolutely. It's, it totally changes the trajectory and the way of thinking. Because when I was doing top-down, I would meet with companies and then maybe I'd, like, I don't know, meet this big bank or something. And then they would tell me like, yeah, we're buying this, but please add one, two, three features. And then like you need to change your whole roadmap and, and like the UI and the UX of how you experience the solution, how you onboard to it. It doesn't really matter because you're going have drinks with the guy from the banks and like you sell it to him and then they give it to their people but when you switch all of a sudden there is no person to talk for you the product has to talk for you so for us we had to remove a lot of screens really hide many many features that we had in order to make it clear and simple and in order to do this yes you need great ui you need great ux and i think it's more of a product and I think it's like, I believe more in the minimalistic approach where like less is more. And for every button that we put, for every, I don't know, selector box that we put, we really think, should we do this or not? Because if you don't, you know, you know those those systems where you come and you have like 7,000 options and you're like overwhelmed. You're like, what am I supposed to do with it? And this would never happen. Like, think about it. Even if you look at Zoom, if you look at, Slack, everything is very, very simple. And for us in the company today, I measure how many visitors do I have to the website, how many people download and run my solution for the first time, how many people sign up and configure it. And I live by the flow. 
I live by looking at this and constantly improving my uh, metrics around the user onboarding funnel. Yeah, I mean, it sounds as though you really have to shift from uh, uh, selling to acting like a publisher, right? And, and I'm also, I'm, I'm assuming the advancements in ad tech and publishing, there's a lot to, that could be borrowed from those industries where you get free access to content and then obviously monetize it either through subscription or advertising and so on. So uh, kudos to you for, for cracking the code on that. How... In your business directly, your company itself, you're mostly providing uh, tools for developers to uh, make sure that what they put into production gets cleansed or at least some form of QA, automated QA, to make sure that it's working properly before it, uh, it goes into production. How are you meeting those end users? Where do you find them? How do they come to you? Do you go to them? You know, how does that work in terms of uh, marketing? Uh, your services. So product, excuse me. the type of marketing that we believe in is no bullshit, no thought leadership content. It's only like for real hands-on use cases, examples, like people really solving problems. And like uh, we, we, I meet a lot of people all the time because of the communities that I manage and I, I, I'm a public speaker and, and I experience a lot of people. And, and we take the use cases and, for example, one of my talks is how we went through 100 post-mortems and read them and extracted and created rules to prevent those 100 post-mortems. So the way we meet our users is by actually helping them because one day it's a shitty day for someone, his cluster, Kubernetes cluster runs out of memory, his production goes down, Everything's everyone's angry, like the sales is angry, the CEO is like, what is going on? And this poor guy has to be like, oh my God, uh, what am I supposed to do? How do I prevent like running out of memory in my cluster? And then I want them to come to my website and we have a troubleshooting guide and we explain how to, why does this happen? How to avoid this? How to fix it? How to check if they're safe in the future? And just really being helpful because those are real problems that are happening. Love it. You're like the ambassadors for developers in making developers' life easier. We're, we're, we're up on time, but we definitely don't want to go away without asking a little bit more about the company culture itself. What kind of a work environment uh, have you created there that attracts the kind of people that you want to have with you? What is the day in the life, a day tree like? So I always tell, when I interview people, I always tell them like the tree can be heaven for you or it can be hell. If you really love what you're doing, you love technology, you love working at a company that is by developers, for developers, every day like talking about technology and, and, and users and acquisition and like this will be heaven for you. If you're looking for a job, you know, to come nine to five, you know, to do whatever you need and to go home, maybe it's less less of the ever fit for you. Because for us it's really for people that are really, really passionate about what they're doing. It's not every day you get to help your peers. It's not every day that the developers in the company meet their their customers and their customers are like them. Many times developers in companies, they build solutions. They don't understand the market. They don't understand why people need it. Like they're so far from the customer that they don't even understand. And here it's totally different. And because the developer is the customer, the, the development team is also able to help 
and say, hey, maybe build this feature. Hey, this doesn't work well. I think we can improve it. And we really listen to them and they can be an active part of it. Simon, love by developers for developers. I love that. That's an awesome tagline. Uh, it's been great to have you. We're up on time. We could talk for hours about this. <laughs> uh, it's been great to have you. We wish you a lot of success. We'll definitely have to keep up with your progress and uh, maybe have you back and talk about some additional use cases with us in the future. Please Thank stay with us. Much. Yeah, our pleasure. Please stay with us as we go off the air for wrap-up. Carlos, what do we got coming up? I think we have... Uh, Three more shows, right? We've yeah. got two tomorrow and one on two, Thursday. That is correct, Tulio. Tomorrow, 10 o'clock, tech and its effects on the real estate industry with Thad Wong, the co-founder and co-CEO at, at <clears throat> Properties. I'm sorry. And then the one at 12, uh, tomorrow too, that's going to be with Josh Blank, the founder and CEO of Auto, Auto.ai. Uh, I don't have the topic yet, but it's uh, this is... Um, a platform to help people with uh, hearing problems. And finally, on Thursday, we're going to be speaking with, with Matt Breton, the CEO of Zuzi. The topic, democratizing market research and consumer insights. So that's what we have we have for this week right here on Dojo Live yeah, as ever. And of course, thanks to you guys and thank you. Shimon for having been with us I, today. I'm sorry, so Carlos. Stay tuned, for, folks. I'm sorry, Carlos, for interrupting. I thought Matt's was rescheduled. Oh, that is correct, Kim. The thing is that I the landing page has not been taken down. Anyway, Sunday's yeah. going to be up there. Matt keep will not be with well, us on the second. <laughs> yeah, Matt is we'll not going to be in there. We'll be back at 10 a.m. Pacific tomorrow. We'll be sure to announce. And we'll, and we'll see. Well. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Perfect. everyone. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.